Welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ethan Waldman, and today my guest is Carmen Schenk. I really enjoyed this interview with Carmen because we start with her story and talk about how tiny house living can be so transformational for so many different people and for different reasons. That is certainly true for Carmen, and I don't want to spoil it here. You'll have to listen to find out just how much Carmen's life changed through tiny living. This is also a really fun chat because we get into specifics of how to make the kitchen in your tiny house work really, really well. And I learned some things from Carmen, and I think you will too. So let's get on with the episode. Today, my guest is Carmen Schenk. Carmen is a retired chef and restaurant owner who has lived with her husband and dog in 125 square feet since 2014. She is a speaker, author, and coach, helping people navigate the transition to life in a tiny haven home, especially the kitchen. Her new book, Kitchen Simplicity, shares her philosophy of purposeful simplicity that makes living tiny a joy. Carmen, welcome to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast. Thank you, Ethan. I'm so happy to be here. Great. And I really appreciate you actually sent me a copy of your book to review, and I really enjoyed um, reading through it, learning about your story, and you know, learning some awesome tiny house kitchen tips. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So in your book, uh, there was a quote that I really liked, which was, equipment can make food faster, but doesn't make food better. Yeah. And I was curious, what are some essentials that you think everyone should have in their tiny kitchen? Oh, yeah. The basic thing is a good cutting board and three really great knives, a paring knife and a, sh- a small chef's knife and maybe a serrated blade for cutting bread or tomatoes. And you know what? If you can handle those three knives, then you probably don't really need a grater. You probably really don't need um, a food processor or a blender. If you want things pureed, then you'll need some other gear. But it's amazing what you can create just with a knife and a cutting board. It's so simple. I loved the way you kind of talked about how you had to relearn how to cook because cooking in a tiny house is much more like cooking the way we cooked before we had this kind of influx of gadgets and, you know, conveniences. So I'm curious, were there any meals that you kind of rediscovered that you loved that you maybe didn't cook before, but but the, the simplicity of the tiny kitchen kind of led you back to them? That is a really great question. I think... Um, The things that I really love to eat, and I, you know, if you've heard me talk before, you know, I'm always talking about shrimp and grits. It's one of my favorite things that we served in the restaurant. It takes, uh, it takes kind of a while to make it the way I used to make it. And I had to learn all over again how to make it because in the restaurant, the first thing I would do in the morning is walk in, put the crock pot on with the grits and start loading them up with cream and, you know, just getting them so they're really nice and soft for the evening meal. Well, in a tiny house, you can't do that because a, a slow cooker or anything that's putting off a lot of moisture into the air in a small space can cause a mold issue. And it really did for us. I opened up my closet one day and my coats and my shoes were covered in this little <laughs> speckly mold. And my, you know, my heart just fell. And we had this huge mold issue in the, in the closet because of 
we had not been, we had not realized that putting moisture into the air could have such consequences. So I learned to cook grits in a half an hour. It can be done. And I know for people like me who like to do things the long way and because we think they're better, grits are still good if you cook them in a half an hour. <laughs> they're still good. <laughs> and I will admit that I have, well, actually, you know, I have cooked grits, but it's, they call it polenta. Is yes, yes, yes. It's a slightly different grind of the cornmeal, but it's the same thing. Well, I hope that one day I can try your shrimp and grits. There you go. It's a deal. <laughs> so what made me smile about reading your book is that if if I had read it before I built my tiny house kitchen, it might my kitchen might have come out a lot differently. I kind of approached the... I want to be able to do as much as I can in my kitchen. So I, I actually made my kitchen pretty big. And I do have a lot of these luxuries, such as a food processor and an immersion blender. And like I have space for gadgets in my tiny house kitchen. <laughs> well, yeah. And I think I'm seeing that in a lot of uh, tiny houses that the, the kitchen, because it is so central to the way we use a space and the way that we use a home, the kitchen ends up being huge. But in our case, we didn't design our home. It was already a thing. <laughs> we just kind of walked in and made it home. And the kitchen space was very small. So there was 125 square feet and a very small part of that was the kitchen. So I just had to deal, you know, but I admit that's probably very different from the experience that you might have when you designed your kitchen to be roomy and to be central to your home. So what, I'm curious what you would do, you know, if you were to design a tiny house kitchen for you, how would it be different than, than what you have now? We are in the process of working on a schoolie. It is 128 square feet, so I'm gaining three whole square feet. <laughs> but the, the kitchen is not dramatically bigger. What's very different about this one is that instead of having a bed built in that's always a bed, it is a pair of sofas that convert into a bed. What I really missed about the first tiny house was that we couldn't have our my whole family there, my my brother and his wife, my my parents, and the um, nephews. I couldn't have them in my home because there wasn't space. So in this particular situation, the, the kitchen is roughly the same size. It's laid out differently so that it's more useful. But what really changed was now I have space with these two sofas to actually put a table there and and comfortably, hopefully, <laughs> feed up to eight people. So it's um, it's not finished yet, so I don't know how it actually works out, but I'm hopeful. <laughs> well, that sounds amazing, and I think that's really smart that you're thinking about both the kitchen for cooking the food, but also the seating for, for having people, and that's one area where my tiny house design could be better. I just have one long kind of couch. And so people kind of sit next to each other, plates on their lap. It's it's kind of awkward. There's not a seating area. Well, yeah. I mean, that's that's one of the reasons maybe that it's kind of fun to have a starter tiny house and learn what you really are most, what you find most valuable so that when you do the second one, it's it can be... Um, it can be coming from a place of knowing what you use and what you don't use. You can learn from your mistakes. And, and I think that, you know, not everyone 
is going to do too, but you can definitely, you could rent a tiny house, you could stay in one on Airbnb, and you'll pretty quickly get a sense of what is working about it and what isn't. Yeah, you can even hang out in an RV for a while because the, the price point can be very different than where an, a tiny house can be. You know, there's there's so many options, a tiny little apartment, um, anything. I don't I don't want to add another step to people's um, transition to going tiny necessarily, but any kind of learning experience you can do if you want to um, rent a tiny house for a week or two, anything you can do to kind of get a feel for what it's going to take and what you really um, care about most, that will be really helpful in terms of long-term use of your tiny house. So I know that a lot of people in the tiny house world love their Instant Pot. I'm curious if you, <laughs> I'm curious if you were an Instant Pot user. <laughs> I'm not... I know it's a thing and people who have them are absolute evangelists for them. And I think that's fantastic. I like the concept a pressure cooker that can get food done so much more quickly, I think is a really great idea. I haven't played with it because to me, uh, the fact that I don't need it until I use something still means I don't need it. (laughs) And I just don't have, I don't feel like I have the space, but if it's something you're used to um, and it does make uh, a meal come about, much more quickly than go for it, you know? You, you talked about in your book how you you saw some really nice china and you really wanted it, but you left the store without buying it, which yeah. is such an important skill to have to be able to, to walk out of the store, even though you really want the thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's really one of the beauties of going tiny is that we could walk in a store and leave with nothing. And it was at the beginning, it was kind of a surprising feeling because I would walk through like a kitchen department or something like that and just look around and realize to my surprise, there was nothing there I wanted or needed. And that's really kind of a cool feeling, but I don't shop for entertainment anymore either. (laughs) I don't do the whole retail therapy because it backfires. So it's kind of a, um, that's one of those things that changed in my life because of living tiny. It's cool. That is cool. And you did go back and get them, but that was only after that was only after you thought about them for like a month. I did go back and get them. <laughs> yeah, you know, when you walk away from something and it won't let go, it's still in there in your consciousness and you know, you keep thinking, "Oh, well, they're so pretty and I could use them for this and that and the other thing." Yeah, we did end up going back and getting them. And we do. We use that china every single day. It is so, it's still really my favorite pattern and we use it every day. Well, there you go. So I want to go back to your story. At the beginning of the book, you described leaving an abusive marriage and spending some time living in what sounds like a very simply outfitted van. And -hmm. I was curious how you think that living tiny can help people transition out of difficult situations? Oh yeah, that is, that is such a great question. I felt trapped because I had this great big house on the golf course and I, for a while, sacrificing the home was such a big thing to me. I didn't realize that I was sacrificing myself for the sake of a big house on the golf course, which is ridiculous. It, it shows how little I valued myself. 
But when the tide turns and you begin to realize that the situation is not going to work, big house or no house, (laughs) then you become willing to do whatever it takes to make your life so that you don't, you know, wish you didn't wake up in the morning. So um, I considered um, going to a, a shelter. I considered going to our local homeless situation. And then, then I thought, you know, I really have to do this in a way that doesn't um, make my life. <laughs> it doesn't force me to be a victim when I do have some choices here. I can make some choices and take some steps not to be a victim, not to be um, showing up on somebody's doorstep and saying, take care of me. I am capable of taking care of myself. Therefore, I'm going to set about doing it. So, uh, yeah, I got a little apartment, moved out, got in a safe place. And um, and then I started the whole thing of let's try on this van life and let's see if that's something that will work for me. And still at the very beginning and and then later when Xavier and I bought our little tiny house, it was always a means to an end to me. I never intended to be a tiny house person long term. But it changed everything. And and the longer we lived tiny, the more that became the dream, the more the dream house kind of shrunk and became much more humble and utilitarian. So it really the whole experience of living in these spaces that were intended to be temporary to get me to another larger goal that changed me. And and now when I, I play around with the dream house idea, it is a much smaller house. And I just think it's hilarious how that worked for us. Yeah, that's that's a great point. And I just love I love that story, the way that, you know, you kind of have to strip everything away to kind of refigure out what it is that you want. Yeah, that's so true. So tell me more about your book. What was the inspiration for writing it? And, you know, who is it intended for? Well, the inspiration for writing it was... Um, it would, it's kind of the same as who it was intended for. Because the transition from being a restaurant owner, the restaurant was 3,000 square feet, and then we, we, um, we weren't getting to see each other. He was running his business. I was running the restaurant. And all of that, that transition from that big kind of helter-skelter, crazy uh, environment into the peace of our little tiny space, our little tiny home, no mortgage. You know, it helped us sit there set the reset button on our lives so we could take a break and catch up with ourselves. The, the book comes out of that desire to make that transition for somebody else a little smoother than it was for me, because there were parts of that that I found really, really painful. And, you know, there were like, we went tiny in the fall of 2014. I want apple pie. I want one apple pie a year in the fall when the apples have just come off the trees <laughs> the only time of the year I want apple pie. And I looked around in my tiny little house and I didn't have the right kind of oven to bake a pie for an hour. We had an oven, but it wouldn't work for that. So it became, I mean, I struggled with it and I got grumpy and I, <laughs> I got frustrated. And that whole poverty mindset that I had came front and center. And if I can help somebody else make that transition without having to having to go through that grumpy stage, that place where you feel caged and and just kind of caged in and can embrace the simplicity of it, that transition will be shorter and easier for people if they, if they can, uh, if I can help them get through that, you know, I mean, what I went through can help other people make it simpler for them. 
<laughs> That's my very inarticulate answer. <laughs> that was not inarticulate. So I'm, I'm curious, though. So how do you get your pie fix now? Well, these days, I feel like I should become a, 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 I should have a sponsor because I am so crazy about this one product. It is the Breville Smart Oven Air. It takes up the space of a toaster oven, but it's got all these crazy features. This one actually does air fry and dehydrate and convection and traditional oven and slow cook and all these things in this neat little package. I can literally bake that pie for an hour in that oven and it's fine. I can also make yogurt with a dehydrate feature, which I love. <laughs> and so I don't need a dehydrator. I don't have a dehydrator anyway, but it's kind of nice to have one smart little package that does all these different things. So it is useful. Uh, you know, we have it out in the schoolie, but I keep carting it inside. Our schoolie's not finished, so we're not living there yet. I keep carting it inside to use the oven because I love it so much. And if I would have had that in the first tiny house, I could have had my pie. <laughs> nice. And and does that take the place of your oven? Like you won't have an oven in the schoolie? It does. Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I came across those as well and and realized that I could have not had an oven in yeah. my tiny house. Mm -hmm. um, I have one of the RV style three burner gas ranges and the range is awesome. Oh, they're so great. Yeah. The propane uh, stovetop is fantastic. Yeah. But the oven itself, I call it the easy bake oven. Yeah, it's horrible. It has one <laughs> shelf right in the middle that is fixed in place. You can't adjust the height. And it definitely burns, you know, it oh, gets really hot right on top of that shelf. So <laughs> yeah. anything you're trying to bake gets burned on the bottom and it, it's a little little awkward. Yeah, we have basically the same thing. It was an RV, a cute little vintage RV thing. Propane, four burners in the top. The little oven was basically a storage unit. It was, <laughs> it was pretty much useless for actually baking or roasting anything. Yeah, and I would I would say that my ideal setup would be one of those Breville ovens, maybe a two burner, just propane cooktop, and then an inst and an instant pot. I actually I actually do have one, and I I love it. I mean, I use it for rice, I use it for soups and stews, hard boiled eggs. I mean, all these things you can do, obviously, just on the stovetop. But mm -hmm. for me, the thing that I love is the the timer. Yeah. So like for hard boiled eggs. You know, you steam them too, which is really nice. And it's like cool. you set the timer for five minutes and you hit start and then you can walk away and not like overdo your eggs. See, now that's cool because the key to a really great hard boiled egg that's not green in the middle is getting it in and out in the right amount of time. And that's fantastic. Five minutes for hard boiled eggs. How long does it take you to do rice? Rice takes a lot less time. So the so I do a lot of brown rice and it's 22 minutes at pressure. 22 minutes for brown rice. That's fantastic. Although with, with the caveat that that's 22 minutes at pressure. And so it does take, you know, it takes some time to get up to pressure. And then um, the recipe that I use calls for basically when, when the thing beeps and says the 22 minutes is up and it, it basically stops heating, you're supposed to let it naturally release the pressure for about 10 minutes Um and that also, like, the rice is not quite done cooking yet. Mm -hmm. um, so that 10-minute pressure release is important. But, again, never burns on the bottom. You can totally be working on something else and not, like, have to fret over anything. So, oh, that's so great. It is pretty cool. Yeah. But you don't need one. It's just nice to have. 
<laughs> I think if I was used to it, I probably would feel like I needed it. But again, anything I'm not used to having, I don't need because I'm not used to it. You're, what you need is based on what you're used to. You change what you're used to and it changes what you need. There's a a concept that I've been playing around with that I'm I'm calling the goldfish concept, which, yeah. you know, like the adage that a goldfish will grow to whatever size its its bowl or tank is. And I, I kind of think that applies to tiny house living or any living is that we just we expand to fill whatever space we inhabit with stuff. And it's a lot easier to stay small than to get bigger and then try to get smaller. Yeah. I think you're onto something there because we, like I said before, we went into tiny house living intending to go back to a quote unquote normal house at some point. So it was just a means to an end for us. So we actually came into the tiny house with a storage unit that has a grand piano and a pipe organ and all of the stuff, you know? So we didn't do it like normal tiny house people do it who intend to stay a while. (laughs) So we still have all the stuff. And we've gotten rid of a lot over the years, but it's really been a process. And we got a workshop for our business. And then some of the stuff came out again. And you are so right that when you are living even temporarily in a larger space, you know, you fill it. It's, it's, you're absolutely right. Your goldfish is uh, <laughs> going to use the space that you have. Well, one thing that I like to ask all of my guests are, what are two or three resources, you know, like books, movies, people that inspired you on your tiny house journey that you'd like to share with everyone else? Oh, great question. Well, I think the first tiny house book that I read, and this was ages ago, it's this small house book by Jay Schaefer. And it's a great one. This was, I, when, do you know when that book came out? Because I feel like I've, I feel like I've read that ages and ages ago. Um, it says copyright 2009, 2010. So this has been, you know, that's been around a decade. Well, not quite. But, yeah, that book has been out for quite some time. Love that book because of the mind, mindset change from get as much space as you can and put your junk in it to get as much quality as you can and, and, space, and you know, stock accordingly. I really love that approach. And Jay is just a really cool person. Um, my other one is going to be no surprise, the big tiny, the build it myself memoir by Dee Williams. Oh yeah. The book is so cool because she is fierce. Even with her health issues, with the, with her heart condition and everything, she is still in the driveway building that house. She is unstoppable. And it's so impressive. She's been through some really amazing things. I am so glad she made it because there's moments in the book where you just don't know if she's going to be okay. (laughs) And of course she is. I've seen her in in different uh, documentaries and met her and been to different classes with her. So that's somebody I've really found to be very inspirational. The, The third book is not a tiny house book. But it became informative to me, and that's the Zero Waste Home by B. Johnson, the ultimate guide to simplifying your life by reducing your waste. Now, she will be the first to say she has gotten a little extreme with it because she she actually went to the extreme of she won't even use things that can be recycled. And then I think she came back from that edge to using recyclables. So when we got in our tiny space and 
it got crazy filled up with trash in a heartbeat and it was driving me crazy. I needed a way to find, I needed to find a way to use less trash so I didn't have to have it in my house, in my way, in my space. You know, like a roll of paper towels, if you get paper towels on sale and you come home, where on earth do you put the paper towels? You're going to hide them in the closet? You already gave up so many clothes to fit the closet and you're going to put paper towels in there now? You know, it's <laughs> so that book really helped me think through ways to become more zero waste so that I didn't have to deal with all that stuff in my house. Well, Carmen, thank you so much for joining us today. This was really wonderful, and um, I really appreciate it. Absolutely. This has been so much fun. Thank you so much to Carmen Shank for being a guest on the show. You can find the show notes for this episode at thetinyhouse.net slash Carmen. You've been listening to the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast with Ethan Waldman. Do you like what you've heard? Please take a moment to head over to iTunes to rate and review the show. Believe it or not, your reviews are incredibly useful for helping other people find this show. Go to thetinyhouse.net slash iTunes to be directed straight to iTunes where you can leave your review. And finally, if you're looking for the ultimate guide to planning your tiny house, check out my comprehensive resource, Tiny House Decisions. Tiny House Decisions is the guide I wish I had when I built my tiny house and comes in three different packages to help you get a jumpstart on your tiny house planning. Save hundreds of hours of research and thousands of dollars with Tiny House Decisions. Learn more at thetinyhouse.net slash THD. We're offering a special discount for podcast listeners. Use the coupon code TINY to take 20% off any package. Again, that's thetinyhouse.net slash THD, coupon code TINY for 20% off. That's all, and I'll be back next week with another episode of the Tiny House Lifestyle Podcast.